this morning, I know you're going to be so excited by, by this message. Yes, I mean, I mean, well, I think it's exciting. The title of this message, though, is Bear With One Another. Does everybody have that person flashing through your mind right now that you have to bear with? <laughs> bear with one another. And so if you'll turn to Romans chapter 15 with me this morning, we're going to camp out here for a little bit. Now, and, and we'll, finish, we'll finish at a good time. Now, last, a couple weeks ago, Scott over here, raise your hand, Scott. Scott came up to me after church and said, now, is there an organized group that goes to lunch? I said, well, no, but we can make that happen. And so back in the corner over here is our lunch corner. And so today, if you were going to go out to eat, there's no need to go by yourself. You're just going to connect over here with anybody else that would love to go out to eat at, you know, Cracker Barrel, Chi, Elmas, there's your three. Oh, Emos, Emos. <laughs> I'm not going to Emos. If you want to go to lunch with me, you're going to have to choose one of the others. I put my name on the chalkboard in case I can't get back there. So if you want to just go hang out today for lunch. Now listen, hospitality was an ancient practice that was part of the family of God. And so now I know a lot of you, there's no way we're going to get into your house. But you can, you know, say, oh, look, there's a young married couple, Caleb and Raylin. That's a young married couple. They probably, I know, he works for me. He's not going to want to pay to go out to lunch. But maybe one of you could extend hospitality and invite somebody to lunch with you. Okay? You can meet up at the lunch corner. And by the end of this sermon, you're going to want to invite the person that you have to bear with <laughs> to lunch as well. Well, we'll see. All right, is everybody there? Romans 15. Okay, we then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, Jesus, you are our rabbi, you are our teacher, and so we come to your word this morning and we open up our hearts and say, teach us your ways and teach us how to walk in those ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to just take a few moments before we jump into breaking down this passage to lay a bit of a foundation. You see, we have a pattern for living, and that is Jesus, right? Jesus is our pattern. 
So here's what we have going on in life. We live as followers of Christ basically in parallel universes. We all live in this natural world together, right? But we also live in this parallel universe called the kingdom of God, right? So we're like in a parallel universe. It's easy living in the natural universe to begin to think and look like the natural universe. But as followers of Christ, the universe that has to become our perspective, that has to be the thing in which we align everything in this natural universe to, is his universe, right? And so Jesus teaches us what that universe looks like. And so he, when, and in Matthew 10, when Jesus makes this call, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus talking about here, that parallel universe? you got to lose this life here in the natural to gain that universe that is his kingdom. Another way to say this is in the words of Jim Elliott. How many of you have heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliott? Missionaries, they were, they were missionaries to Ecuador. The story is amazing. They were one of my spiritual giants as a teenager. A young family serving with other young families in Ecuador to a group of cannibals. And Jim and his young family with many of the other men were killed. They were martyred in 1956. Elizabeth Elliot still teaches and ministers to this day. But he is known for this saying. You may have heard it even if you don't know him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, it's foolishness to try to hold on to this world that we're going to lose. It's wisdom to lose this life in order to gain an eternal life, right? And so Jesus is the pattern for what that world looks like. And, and so I, I think of it as, um, I don't know if you have ever, how many of you have watched the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Oh, yeah. Everybody watch the second one. Who's excited for the third one next week? Our family's excited. Deidre's like, yep, U50 group outing. <laughs> so what I love, and I'm sad because the actor has died, but the father in this movie, you all know what nationality he is, right? He's Greek. He lives in America, and he raises a family in America, but he's in parallel universes. If you were to drive through his neighborhood, you would know which house was his because of all of the Greek statues and Greek pillars. He is easily identified, right? Everything in his life is put through the filter of that Greek culture. 
He has succeeded often to the exasperation of his children in Greek culture. And so today, I want us to think this way. For him, more than the American culture, the Greek culture was his reality. And today, Jesus wants his kingdom to be our reality, and he teaches us what that looks like. And so when we come to this passage in John chapter 13, if you'll turn to John 13, it says the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, listen, this is a key sentence here. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And because he knew this, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He's Jesus saying, I have come to teach you. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I find this fascinating because Jesus is coming to the end of his life. And the words of a person near the end of their life are significant, aren't they? We want to hear, what last words do you have for me? Father, mother, grandmother. What words do you have for me? And of all that Jesus could impart to them. This is what he chooses to do. To take off all power and authority had been put underneath him. And he lays aside his authority and his power to wash the feet of his disciples. And then he says, this is the example I leave to you. You hear me talking a lot about how to treat people because it's the second commandment. You can excel at love God, but are you really loving God if you can't also love people? Because he loved us enough to lay aside his glory and come to earth and to die, to take on the reproaches. And so this is our example. Jesus in all things is the example. And so with that understanding of what our teacher's expectation is, we come back to our main text in Romans 15. 
And we read, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. This isn't just a good idea. The teacher showed us this. And so I want you to think of it in this way. In every story, there is a hero, right? Usually there's a hero or a main character. And typically this hero and main character is a person of strength, strength of character. They usually are strong of body, strong of mind, right? And everybody wants to be the main character or the hero of the story. They're not usually the weak-minded They're not usually the petty ones or the weak-natured. Nobody wants to be that person in the story. We want to be the strong hero character, right? I do. Is anybody else confessing, no, I'd rather be the weak one? No. And so in this passage, there are two characters. There's the strong and there's the weak. The strong one is one that is mighty and able. And if you look at the scruples of the weak in that verse, what that is saying is error from weakness of mind. Error from weakness of mind. I do not want to be this character. In this passage, we choose. We can look at that and say, Which of these in this narrative would I prefer to be? I would rather be the strong one. I don't want to be identified as one that is an error from weakness of mind. Do you? No. We want to be the strong one. But listen, here's the deal. To be strong means it takes the hard road. The strong person takes the, the road that is going to be the harder. They're going to bushwhack through, not take the easy path. To be the strong one requires that the, the decision to put in the necessary self-training to become strong. I know I am not physically strong. Why? Because I have not exercised since I began school. I have not put in the self-training to become strong. You could all probably take me out in a contest. Why? Strength requires self-training to become a person of strength. And the truth is, is that although we all want to be the strong character, we don't all want to put in the necessary effort to being the strong one. In verse, so there we are. In verse 1, you, you have your choice in the narrative. Do you want to be the strong one that bears with the scruples of the weak, or do you want to be the weak one? The strong one is, there's this interesting thing in that there are roles to each of these characters in this narrative. The strong one, it, it, there's a call to them to do what? Not please self. What I find interesting in this is that there's no action put to the weak. The action is required of the strong one. Do not please self. He's talking to the strong at that moment. We who are strong ought to bear with and not please self. 
So isn't it interesting? In this passage, it's not addressing the weak-minded one. It's addressing the strong one. And so if we move on to verse 2, let's read that again. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So the role of the strong man requires strength because it's no easy task in the face of, of the weak-minded where there is pettiness and judgment, where they treat you poorly, right? You, our nature, our self, wants to retaliate. But the strength of the strong one resists that urge and instead takes up these roles in verse 2 of bearing with the weak. Now, when we say, okay, I'm going to bear with this, often we're thinking, I'm tolerating, I'm putting up with. Okay, I'm going to put up with this person. I'm going to tolerate them and their weakness. No, no, that's not what this means. To bear with means to take up in order to carry. It means to sustain. It means that you're not just looking down upon them in disdain, but you are lifting them up. That is the role of the strong one in this narrative. It's easy to be judgmental and critical of the weak-minded petty. It takes strength to come into their weakness and without judgment and with unconditional love, lift them up. Because, friend, that's what Jesus did for me. <laughs> I surely did not deserve what he gave to me, but he came into my weakness and he lifted me up. He bore my sin. He bore my burdens. And he lifted me up in my weakness. He didn't look down and condemn. And so the role of the strong is to bear with the weak and then please your, your neighbor for their good and their edification. I love Brian Dukes and Linda Wilson, are one of our small groups this fall, is on blessing your neighbors. Is that right, Brian? Blessing your neighbors. Their group is all about that, and I'm very excited about it. That's what the strong does. They, in verse 2, they, they please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. See, what the world wants to, and you see this on social media, I'm going to cut off every toxic person in my life. I'm just going to surround myself with people that make me feel good. If they're toxic, they're out of my life. Listen, that's not what this verse is calling us to. The verse is saying where there are toxic people, I have the cure for toxicity. Jesus. Jesus. We are the medicine. We have the cure. And so where the world wants to cut people out, we as believers, we embrace. We pull in. We say, I can take the toxicity because I know the one who is the cleansing water and makes all things new and fresh and clean and pure. 
Jesus. And so in verses three and four, it brings us back to the example that we talked about in John. For even Christ did not please himself. How do we know this? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Had he been left to his own pleasure, Jesus would have let the cup pass from him. But he had submitted himself to the will of God. And he, what was his prayer, Lord? Not my will be done, but yours. In that moment, as Jesus is facing the cross, he chooses to forego his own pleasure in order to take up the weak. And so it says, continues, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Those are our reproaches. That's our sin fell on him. For whatever things were written before, were written for what? Our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. I find this as a necessary even step if I'm that gives me the strength that I need to bear with people. Because I have to, the comfort of the word is that I see the example of Christ and I take comfort that as I embrace people that need, need to come out of weakness, that need to step out of that toxicity, I, I can do it trusting and having hope and patience that Jesus can transform a person. I know because he's transformed my own toxicity, my own weaknesses, my own, my own unkindnesses. And so having the example of Christ means that with hope and with patience, I can embrace people and not cut people off. I can bear with people as Christ bore with people. Now, in verse 5, I love this. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. For me, this is the verse of hope. This is the verse that says, as I bear with people and as I look to, to pleasing my neighbor for their good and for their edification, as I look to building people up, there is the process that will arise where we will become like-minded in Christ Jesus. I want to be a part of the transformation process in the life of people. I want, there are people that are stronger than me that I want to bear with me, that I can continue to be transformed more and more like Jesus, that I can increase in his strength. And so this like-mindedness, wow, isn't that great hope? 
see what happens we cut off the, the the weak and the petty is that we have cut them off from the hope of being like-minded we're basically leaving them to their weakness but as we begin to please them and to do good toward them what are we doing we're calling them out of it we're calling them out of it and into his strength into his strength in Hebrews chapter 10. I love this passage because it, it shows further the power of this. And let us consider one another. Everybody look around at each other. Come on now, look around at each other. Those are your one another's. Let us consider one another. Now consider those that you're looking at. Just look around and consider them for a moment. You might see somebody you haven't met yet that you can go to lunch with and hear their story. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. My life should stir up love in you. My life should stir up good works in you. Your life should stir. You know, there are people, I'm so excited. One of my closest friends is moving to Lincoln. We're going to be staying with Dennis and Linda for a time. And I'm so excited because she's one of these people that when I get around her, she stirs up in me good works. She inspires me toward good works. We inspire one another. And you need to get around and inspire one another. When you go to lunch today, why are you going to? This is wonderful to be in here worshiping with one another and hearing the word of God with one another. But there's a dynamic that happens around the table, which is why hospitality is so important. There's a dynamic that happens when you begin to hear their story and they begin to hear your story and you begin to inspire, not have pity parties with one another, not have woes as me, although there's a place of being transparent with one another, there's also the place where we're getting together to inspire love and good works in one another. Listen, that can't happen when you're all sitting here looking at me and listening at me. So you got to go to lunch with one another. You got to go to small group where you all get a chance to talk. You got to do these things so that you can be inspiring one another. Bearing, that means that you might in your small group have somebody that you got to bear with. See, the, the Christian community gets real in the small group life where you get to know one another and you get to realize, oh, I didn't know that person was like that. Here is your opportunity to walk out the word of God and bear with one another and inspire one another to love and good works. It continues on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, which we live in a very independent culture that wants to do it on their own, our own. But yet the kingdom calls us to the one another. The kingdom calls us to getting together and being with one another. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. As time draws near, as our time when we are 
this end of the age happens and we step into the new age, as that time approaches, it's the time to gather all the more, to go to lunch all the more, to be in one another's lives and one another's homes all the more. Why? To exhort one another and encourage one another as we see the day approaching. I want to bring it back around a moment to Gus, our Greek. One of my favorite lines is at the end of the movie. You see, the whole conflict of this movie is that the daughter decides to marry somebody from the parallel universe. She decides to marry a non-Greek. And what does her husband-to-be have to do? He has to begin this process of learning the ways of this parallel kingdom called the world of the Greek family. And he gets baptized into Greek orthodoxy. He learns the language of the Greeks. He learns the food of the Greeks. He learns how to dance like the Greeks, right? What is he doing? He's learning how to operate in this parallel universe. And so I love at the wedding reception, the father, he gets up, and this is his heart. The father thinks everybody should be Greek. See, Greek is the center of the whole universe for him. And so really, everybody comes from the Greek. He can take any word and show you the Greek words, roots of that word, right? The whole movie. And so at the end, he, his heart is so much for his son-in-law's family, who is so opposite of them, to be a part of the Greek world, that here's what he says. You know, the root of the word Miller, that's their last name, the root of the word Miller is a Greek word. Miller come from the Greek word Milo, which is mean apple. So there you go. As many of you know, our name, Portokalos, is from the Greek word portokali, which means orange. So, okay, here tonight we have apple and orange. We all different, but in the end, we all fruit. Do you hear his heart, though, of saying, I want you to be one with us in our universe? As appreciative as he is of the American universe, his life is lived out of the parallel universe of the Greek world. And listen, some of us, we're living too much in the parallel world of this world. And we treat people like people treat each other in this world. We, we look at things and we look at people like this world does. When Jesus is saying, wait a minute, I have shown you, you're supposed to be operating out of the parallel world of my kingdom. That means you got to look at people different. That means you got to treat people different, right? You got to do it the way I did it. And I showed you how it's done. I laid aside my rights. I laid aside my authority so that I could take up your burden in your sin. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to be ending our time here in communion. 
And I'm going to ask if the team will begin to come back up. I'm going to ask you once again as they come. Which character in this narrative do you want to be? You may have been one of the weak-minded. You know, there's no rebuke in this passage about the weak-minded. There's only this call to the strong to lift them up. And so there's nothing wrong with being honest before the Lord and saying, Lord, I've been weak-minded. You may have been in that place, but Jesus has shown us the way to overcome it. He has given us the example. And he's given us then not just the example, but the grace to do it. In 2 Corinthians, he said, God is able to make all grace, all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for what? To please yourself? No. For every good work. His grace is abundant for you. For every good work for bearing with one another, lifting each other up. And so this morning, we're going to be coming to the table of the Lord. And this is our altar time, and I'm, I wanted it to be around the table of the Lord because what we're going to read here, and guys, you can go ahead and begin to distribute. We have open communion here. If you've accepted Christ, as your Savior, you are welcome to join us as we celebrate the death of our Savior and his resurrection. I wanted to conclude around the table of the Lord because I believe that each one of us has room to grow in our bearing with one another. I would love to say I'm a perfect angel that is most patient. But my husband also often has to say, relax, let it go. See, he, he exhorts me to good works. <laughs> he inspires me to love and to good works. But we each have room to grow. In our carrying out the second commandment to love people. To truly say I'm a Christ follower means that I will truly love people the way he's called me to love them. Not the ones that I like to hang around, but the ones that are the most difficult. Those are the ones he's called me to love unconditionally and to embrace.